of North Korea, that its leadership is irrational, that its nuclear weapons are a threat to global peace. But what they don't tell us is the other side of the story. Stop the U.S. war machine from Iraq to Korea to the Philippines. Stop the U.S. war machine from Iraq to Korea to the Philippines. We have four principles as we fight every day in Songju. Fight with energy. Fight joyfully. Fight persistently. Fight healthfully. Mindful of your health. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, this week, with Donald Trump thundering about the survival of so-called Western civilization, with corporate media beating the drums of attack and war, and the United States ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, threatening North Korea with possible military action, today we're going to hear the voices of the unheard. Koreans and Korean Americans and their allies who say no new war on the Korean Peninsula, a final end to the old Korean War, which is officially still going on, and no deployment of the THAAD missile defense system, which critics say is really not a defense system, but an offense system, and which is vigorously opposed by the people and the newly elected president of South Korea. Now, it did not make the news here in the States, but on April 26, 8,000 South Korean military police were deployed to brutally suppress hundreds of protesters who had been part of a months-long movement to stop deployment of the missile defense system in the Sonju province of South Korea, where residents say THAAD will desecrate a holy Buddhist shrine and where it is feared that its dangerous radar will create a serious health hazard and interfere with area agriculture. So to start hearing these different perspectives, we're going to revisit the protest at the January inauguration of Donald Trump, where we heard Korean and anti-war activists address the crowd. Thank you, everybody. My name is Will Griffin. I am an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran, but I'm now an anti-war activist. I'm here to talk to you about the two most important issues of our entire species, let alone this entire century. One, climate change. The U.S. military is the number one single largest consumer of fossil fuels in the entire world. Two, nuclear weapons. The U.S. military is leading and escalating nuclear warfare in this century. So we here are part of a U.S.-based task force to raise awareness, 
about a specific issue, the THAAD missile defense issue that will later be deployed in South Korea. Now we've all heard of mutual assure, mutually assured destruction from the Cold War. THAAD gets rid of MAD and escalates nuclear warfare. It's increasing tensions with North Korea, China, Russia. So what THAAD does, it's not a missile defense system, it's a missile offense system. It allows U.S. to have nuclear first strike capabilities. There will be no retaliation. That makes it easier for someone like Trump to push the button. So we need you. We need your help. Check out our website, stopthad.org. That is spelled T-H-A-A-D. It stands for Terminal High Altitude Area Defense. China and Russia and North Korea have already raised concerns about this problem. The U.S. military and its industrial complex do not care what happens to the rest of the world. All they see is the use of military force around the world with the 800 military bases that we have around the world. And we, as a people, realize that the past 15 years of war is not working. So the U.S. military is a huge cause for the two largest problems in the world. So I, we'd ask you to come join us. Check out our Facebook page. Stop that. Check out our website. Stop that. We've, we've, had, we've been endorsed by people like Noam Chomsky, Dennis Kucinich, and hundreds of other organizations. But we need your help. Start speaking about this issue. Nuclear weapons in the 21st century is a huge problem that we all need to be aware of. I'm going to end there. Thank you, everybody. I love this crowd. Together, we stand united. Hi, I'm going to introduce the next person. He's going to talk, he's going to do a little performance about a fight that's happening in South Korea right now in a town called Sungju and Kimchun, where farmers are fighting against the U.S. deployment of a missile defense system there. Um, his name is Danny Kim. This is his first time performing in front of a big audience. He's a little nervous, so give him lots of love. Peace, everybody. Stop! The U.S. war machine from Iraq to Korea to the Philippines. Stop the U.S. war machine from Iraq to Korea to the Philippines. Addressed to the Empire USA. Not so long ago in a country far but not that far away. The one you historically designed to refer to as ROK or Republic of Korea aka South Korea. You devised a new diabolical ploy to deploy a dangerous war machine able to destroy the land of peace-loving farmers, workers, and children. But our people, the people of Sungju County, the people of Kimchan City, defenders of true peace, lighting the flames of resistance, rebellion, revolution, fighting non-stop to take out all your puppet trash and corruption in the form of a right-wing administration. Young and old walking hand in hand, Struggle in the street to complete the nothing but the utter downfall and defeat of abuse and deceit. The people have spoken for an all-new democratic people's government. 
not overseen by a foreign power, puppeteering from afar in your ivory tower. Why can't you see the waves of candlelight from Sangju and Kim Chun shining bright to protect the peace they carry on the fight so that your war machine plan is no longer rising military conflict? It only has the opposite effect, but is that not your intent? We know about your rocket science. We did the math and the science. Yes, studies show that that is not for defense. So we vocalize nothing but the truth and defiance. Don't deny because we know this system is for offense. And your grand trilateral military alliance tying countries up, conditioning them in reliance under U.S. nuke umbrella missile defense system. Our people's land is not your weapon station for you to test and profit off your missile operation. What you think it is, the Empire's Death Star? If it is, you best be ready because people power ain't too far. The force of the Rebel Alliance, self-reliant, workers, farmers, students, the underdog, spirit of the one Buddhist, and the anti-war peace activists coming at you strong. So in solidarity, we lift our voices high. Stop the U.S. war machine from Iraq to Korea to the Philippines. Hi, imagine that Russia or China sends tens of thousands of troops to Mexico and then does military exercises near the U.S.-Mexico border. They send nuclear bombers, aircraft carriers, submarines can, that can launch missiles, and they do massive exercises to simulate the collapse of the U.S. regime. They also train special operations forces to decapitate the U.S. leadership. How would the Pentagon respond? How would the U.S. media respond? And what about the doofus that's about to walk into the White House? How would he respond? This might sound like a video game, but what I'm actually talking about, this is precisely what the U.S. military does in South Korea every year, multiple times a year against North Korea. They are exercising and preparing for the collapse of the North Korean regime. The U.S. media paints a picture of North Korea, that its leadership is irrational, that its nuclear weapons are a threat to global peace. But what they don't tell us is the other side of the story. What they don't tell us is that during the Korean War, the U.S. bombed the northern half of my homeland, the Korean Peninsula, to obliteration so that there are no buildings left standing. What they don't tell us is that the U.S. repeatedly threatened nuclear war against North Korea during the Korean War. What they don't tell us is that they stationed U.S. troops there under the name of so-called U.N. command what they don't tell us is that the UN General Assembly passed a resolution in the 1970 to dissolve that UN command, but the US ignored it, and they still keep those troops there. There are 28,000 of them there right now. What they don't tell us is that 10 years ago, the US agreed to normalize relations with North Korea, and in exchange, North Korea agreed to stop their nuclear weapons program. But the US has refused to live up to that, that commitment and they are preparing for the collapse of the North Korean regime. They are imposing more and more sanctions to choke their economy. 
But incredibly, North Korea has not collapsed. And they're actually developing more nuclear weapons. As a peace activist, in principle, I am against nuclear weapons. But if the greatest nuclear power in the world is at your doorstep, threatening to collapse your regime, how else are you supposed to defend yourself? It is the sovereign right of North Korea to launch satellites into space to test their nuclear weapons. Why does the United States, with the greatest nuclear arsenal in the world, have the right to tell other countries who can have and who cannot have nuclear weapons? Unless the U.S. itself disarms, it does not have the right to tell other countries to denuclearize. In March, there will be another massive military exercise that the U.S. conducts in South Korea. And North Korea has already said that it may test launch an ICBM missile in protest of that action. When the U.S. media makes a big fuss about North Korea's nuclear weapons as a, global, as a threat to global peace, don't believe their lies because we are smarter than that. The greatest threat to peace is not North Korea and their nuclear weapons, but it's going to be the doofus that's going to sit in the White House and the Pentagon that is committing war crimes around the world. As Korean Americans, we are in solidarity with all of you. We are going to be part of the fight to oppose Trump in the next four years. We're going to march for the rights of immigrants and refugees. We're going to march for Black Lives Matter. We're going to march in support of women's rights and LGBT rights. And we hope that you will also stand with us in solidarity when we call for a fundamental resolution to the crisis on the Korean Peninsula, and that includes stopping the war games, that in includes ending the Korean War, that in includes signing a peace treaty, and finally, finally withdrawing U.S. troops from the Korean Peninsula and the rest of Asia. So, I hope you will chat with me when I say, end the Korean War, peace treaty now. End the Korean War, peace treaty now. U.S. troops out of Korea. U.S. troops out of Korea. U.S. troops out of Korea. Thank you. Thank you.
This is On the Ground, on thegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam, and today we're hearing voices of Koreans, Korean Americans, and activists about these tensions, rumors, and threats of war in Asia. In April, On the Ground was on hand as the Reverend Song Yi Kim, co-chair of the Songju Struggle Committee to Stop Thad Deployment in South Korea, spoke in Northwest D.C. at a program sponsored by the Answer Coalition. Reverend Kim is assisted with translation by Hyun Lee, a New York-based writer and activist. Reverend Kim starts by talking about the significance of the area where the U.S. is attempting to deploy the THAAD system. So this place to us is akin to Jerusalem for Christians. This is a very sacred place to, uh, for us, and uh, one Buddhist from all over the world come to this place to, to make pilgrimage. So the birthplace of such a holy person coexists with a, a, a weapon system of war. And so that is why we are so committed to this fight to oppose the that deployment. And that is also because we believe that even small limited conflict can cause many uh, destruction and deaths of lives. Um, and peace will actually um, allow all of us to live peacefully. And that is our religion. And that is the way towards peace. So our founding leader uh, taught us that if it's for justice, then we should fight, risk our lives uh, to, um, to preserve it. And for the path of justice, you basically, even if, if you were to die today, um, you have no regrets. That's how we should always live. And so that is the spirit with which we are fighting this uh, issue. So the Sangju residents, Kim Chun residents, and the one Buddhists are united in this fight. Uh, and also uh, people from all over the country who support the struggle are um, beginning to come to Sangju. And then last Saturday in April, there were 10,000 people who gathered in Susangni. So until the day that the that system uh, is withdrawn from South Korea, uh, the, the Kim Chun residents, the one Buddhist, and the Sangju residents will continue to fight. so grateful that all of you are here today and I appeal to you to um, be with us in our fight. Thanks. Start with the easy question, the last question first. So Sungmi is South Korea, the country's it's about 220 kilometers south of Seoul. It's in North Gyeongsang province, next to the city of Daegu. And it is in the very small village within the county of Songju. Okay. Yeah. So it's been 270 days since we started the candlelight protest in Hongju. Mm. 
번지기 시작해서 그 성주 축불이 근원이 돼서 어, 대통령 탄핵까지 된 것입니다. So we endured the scorching heat of last summer and then also the very cold uh, winter days and now it's spring and, and our fight has continued and that candlelight spread from Sosangni to other cities like Gwangju to Daegu and then to Gwanghwamun and the candlelight protests were finally able to impeach the president but that the, the very first candlelight started in Sangju. So if the U.S. were a true ally of South Korea, then what, it should, what the Trump administration should be doing is making it possible for peaceful coexistence. Um, so not through um, weapons uh, of war, but through peaceful dialogue. And even though the situation in Sangju is so urgent, I came all the way here to appeal to you with this message that this you know, peaceful resolution to the crisis and stopping uh, the deployment of weapons of war uh, is very important. Um, but what we hope is that after May 9th, we will have a new administration that will take a different kind of path um, that will not be so eager to deploy these weapons uh, of war um, and that they will pursue independent foreign policy. And that's what the people in Sangju want and that's what we're fighting for. So, you know, there was mention in the South Korean media that uh, Linda Kim, who is a lobbyist for Lockheed Martin, uh, had connection with Chesun Shil, who is the woman behind the political corruption scandal that led to the downfall of, of Park Geun-hye, and that she had visited uh, Chesun Shil many times while she's in jail. If that were a justifiable or justified weapon system, then there would have been a formal process of an actual agreement between the Defense Ministry of South Korea and the Pentagon. And there would have been a democratic, open, transparent process where the government would try to persuade the people of the, ne the necessity of the system. None of this happened. And so what we believe is that this was all done uh, secretly behind closed doors in order to uh, sell uh, uh, weapon systems for the profit of Lockheed Martin. So even when we go to the store to buy like an electronic rice cooker, it comes with a safety instruction manual. But we were not given any of this when they decided to deploy the system. Apparently, the THAAD radar, within 100 meters of the radar, there is nothing left living because of the, radio, the, the electromagnetic waves. Um, and also 3.5 kilometer radius of the THAAD radar, uh, you know, human beings are not allowed. There, there should be no entry. Um, uh, within that uh, vicinity of the radar. However, that would actually uh, include the sacred site of our One Buddhism. And so this is why we are opposed. And also, as we've mentioned earlier, that place then will become the could become the target of a preemptive strike if there is a conflict between the greater powers. And so this is why we are fighting to oppose it. So, 그거를 왜 알박이라고 하냐면은 어, 일단은 사드를 갖다 놓고 사드는 더 이상 만들지 않습니다. 로키도 막힌 사사. 
그러니까 그런데 그 다음 무기 MD를 팔아먹고 그거를 해야 돼요. 그래서 자꾸자꾸 영역을 넓혀나가기 때문에 우리 한국에서는 그걸 절대적으로 아는 사람들을 반대를 하는데 모르는 사람도 지금도 그것이 북핵을 막는 거기 때문에 사드를 들여와야 된다고 정치인도 말하고 있기 때문에 참 안타깝습니다. So Lockheed Martin no longer manufactures the THAAD system because it's an ineffective system and they are now on to manufacturing more advanced missile defense systems. But the reason why they want to bring this uh, ineffective system to South Korea is because they want to basically mark their territory and they want to bring in more weapon systems in the future. 그렇게 반전 운동에 이렇게 가서 말씀도 해주시고 그러면 너무 고맙다고 생각을 하고요. 아주 좋다고 생각을 하는데. I agree that if the anti-war movement here can actually um, take this message to the demonstrations in May, uh, I'm very grateful and that's a great idea. 아, 제가 요청하고 싶은 것은. What I want to request. 여기 트럼프 대통령이나 아니면 국방부 장관 거기에 관련 있는 사람들한테 한국민들은 그러한 그그 그 전쟁 무기를 원하지 않고 평화와 통일과 남북 대화를 원하고 있으니 사드 배치를 바로 중단해 달라는 그런 메시지도 좀 들어가고 그분들이 그걸 받아들여서 정말 폭넓게 다 같이 평화, 평화롭게 살수 있는 정책을 펼수 있는 그러한 기회가 되기를 원하고 있고. 또뭐 백만 서명 운동을 한다든지 실제적으로 또 백악관 앞에서 노사드 and 피스 이렇게 해서 어 피켓 시위를 해주신다든지 그런 것들이 정말 요청됩니다 저는. Mm. I hope the message could be to Trump and also the uh, Defense Secretary Mattis that the South Korean people do not want weapons of war. What we want is peace, reunification, and dialogue with North Korea. Uh, and I hope that this could be a, come an lead to an opportunity for a, a different kind of policy towards peace. And and also, if people can, you know, stand in front of the White House with signs that say "No Thad, uh, Peace," and send it to us in Korea, that could also be very helpful. Uh. 그렇게 평화운동이 벌어지면은 아무리 권력이 강해도 국민을 이길 수 없고 또 아무리 공격을 해도 저희들은 즐기면서 싸우기 때문에 성주 국민을 이길 수 없다고 생각을 합니다. 그렇게 될 때는 사드는 절대 들어오지 못하고 우리 사드가 성주에 못 들어오면은 한반도 전체에도 들어올 수 없기 때문에 평화로움이 건설되리라고 if we continue to fight for peace, then ultimately those in power cannot defeat uh, the voice of the people. I believe that no matter how intense the, the straight repression may be, uh, we will continue to fight joyfully. And if we are successful in our fight to oppose Thad in Songju, that means um, Thad will not be deployed anywhere in Korea. And, and I believe that that is possible. 네, 그 저희는 늘네 가지 구호를 외치면서 투쟁을 하고 있습니다. 매일 매일. We have four principles in in as we fight every day in Songju. 투쟁은 신나게. Um, fight with energy. 투쟁은 즐겁게. Fight joyfully. 투쟁은 즐기게. Fight persistently. 투쟁은 건강하게. Fight healthfully. Mindful of your health. Thank you. Thank you.
Back when Eisenhower was the president, golf courses is where most of his time was spent. So I never really listened to what the president said because in general I believed that the general was politically dead. But he always seemed to know when the muscles were about to be flexed. Because I remember him saying something, mumbling something about a military industrial complex. Americans no longer fight to keep their shores safe, just to keep the jobs going in the arms-making workplace. And then they pretend to be gripped by some sort of political reflex. But all they're doing is paying dues to the military industrial complex. The military and the monetary. The military and the monetary. The military and the monetary. The military and the monetary get together whenever they think it's necessary. They turn our brothers and sisters into mercenaries. They are turning the planet into a cemetery. The military and the monetary use the media as intermediaries. They are determined to keep the citizens secondary. They make so many decisions that are arbitrary. We're marching behind the commander-in-chief who was standing under a spotlight shaking like a leaf. But the ship of state had landed on an economic reef, so we knew he was going to bring us messages of grief. The military and the monetary were shielded by January and went storming into February. Brought us pot-bellied generals as luminaries. Two weeks ago I hadn't heard the sumbitch, now all of a sudden it's legendary. They took the honor from the honorary, they took the dignity from the dignitaries, they took the secrets from the secretary, but they left the bitch, an obituary. The military and the monetary from thousands of miles away in a Saudi Arabian sanctuary had us all scrambling for our dictionaries because we couldn't understand the vocabulary. Yeah, there were some smart bombs, but there were some dumb ones as well. Scared the hell out of CNN in that Baghdad hotel. The military and the monetary, they get together whenever they think it's necessary. War in the desert sometimes sure is scary, but they beamed out the war to all their subsidiaries, tried to make so damn insane a worthy adversary, keeping the citizens secondary, scaring old folks into coronaries. The military and the monetary from thousands of miles in the Saudi Arabian sanctuary kept us all wondering if all of this was really truly necessary. We've got to work for peace. Peace ain't coming this way. If we only work for peace, if everyone believed in peace the way they say they do, we'd, we'd have peace. The only thing wrong with peace is that you can't make no money from it. The military and the monetary, they get together whenever they think it's necessary. They've turned our brothers and sisters into mercenaries. They are turning the planet into a cemetery. We've got to work for peace. Peace ain't coming this way. That was Gil Scott Heron, Work for Peace on On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. And as we raise up the voices of Koreans and Korean Americans whose families are directly impacted by the failure to officially end the Korean War, next we're going to hear Hyun Lee, New York City-based writer and activist who translated for Reverend Kim in the last segment, Speak to the history of the nuclear threat, the real history of the nuclear threat on the Korean Peninsula. Lee is also speaking at that program in April in Northwest D.C., sponsored by the Answer Coalition. 
I'm going to talk about the more historical and global context for that deployment. So the title is How U.S. Missile Defense Destabilizes the World, and it's prepared by the Task Force to Stop Fat in Korea and Militarism in Asia and the Pacific. So the first point is that missile defense, although it says defense, is actually not for defense. You probably already know this. So from 1972 to 2002, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty uh, guaranteed mutually assured destruction, which acted as deterrence during the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States. And I'm sure this crowd already knows this, but just to simplify it, um, what is mutually assured destruction? It means that if two people have guns to each other's heads, one side is not going to shoot because that is going to definitely invite a retaliatory attack. And so then you're perpetually in the standoff and neither side is going to shoot because otherwise you're guaranteeing all of, both of your destruction. This was precisely the situation during the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States, which both had nuclear arsenals and neither side was willing to shoot because it was going to invite retaliation, right? And so the ABM Treaty, which basically limited missile defense uh, between the two countries, guaranteed this sort of perpetual standoff between the two countries. Now, in this situation, what happens if one side actually develops a system that can take out the opponent's ability to retaliate, right? That means I still have my gun, now I can use this offensively, right? And that's precisely what missile defense is all about, is that, you know, the, the way missile defense is supposed to work is it has a radar that, is, that can detect the opponent's missile activity, um, and then it has interceptors, which are also missiles, that's supposed to shoot an incoming mus missile in midair, right? And so by deploying these systems, uh, you take out the ability to retaliate, and so then now you can use your... So we say this is not a defensive system, it's actually an, a very offensive system. So in 2002, what happened was George W. Bush actually withdrew from the ABM Treaty, and the United States started to make missile defense systems, initially to deploy them surrounding Russia. So, now I have a question for you all. Do you know which countries that have nuclear weapons have declared a policy of no first strike? Meaning, we will not use our nuclear weapons offensively, we only have it as deterrence. Uh, the DPRK, right? Yes, North Korea actually did announce this in the statement of the workers, the seventh workers party congress last year. Yeah, and what other country? Two more. What about Iran? No, not even. You know, the Soviet Union did have this policy, but Russia does not. It does not have that. Two other countries? Pakistan. Huh? Pakistan. No. India. India, yes. And? I think I heard somebody say it. China. China, India, North Korea, they all have a no first strike policy. What about the United States? The United States reserves the right to preemptively strike. Yeah. Number two is that is part of a long history of U.S. nuclear threat and also an arms race on the Korean Peninsula. So from 1950, just brief history, 58 to 1991, the United States had hundreds of nuclear weapons in South Korea. 
So North Korea needed some way to, of creating deterrence. So what it actually did at that time was it forward deployed all of its conventional forces near the DMZ. So what that means is because the DMZ was so close to Seoul, that prevented the U.S. from carrying out a nuclear strike because if it struck at the DMZ, it will also destroy Seoul. Um, so that was their way of deterring um, a nuclear attack. Then, in 2001, all of that changed because there were technological advancements in U.S. weapon systems. So there was a focus on developing precision strike weapons, high-speed weapons, um, that would give the U.S. preemptive strike advantage. And also there were some doctrinal changes. You might remember that in 2001 or two, Bush um, named North Korea famously as part of the axis of evil, and then the 2002 nuclear posture review actually listed seven countries that were targets of potential preemptive U.S. strikes, and that included Iran, Libya, Syria, and also North Korea. So that's when North Korea seriously turned to developing nuclear weapons as a new kind of deterrence. Today what's happening? U.S. and South Korea are now deploying missile defense systems to neutralize North Korea's nuclear weapons, to get rid of their deterrence capability. Now what North Korea is doing, testing all kinds of technology that is going to evade missile defense systems. So the mobile launchers that we've heard so much about in the news, it means that they can carry their missiles anywhere, they can hide in caves and then come out really quickly and launch to evade the missile defense radars. Also the submarine-based ballistic missiles that's underwater to evade the radars. They can also now simultaneously launch many missiles at once, once which means that the interceptor missile you know, can only track one missile at a time, and so they, you know, it confuses them when you have many missiles all at once. Also, they have missiles that fly in an unpredictable zigzag pattern to evade the, um, the, the, the defense, missile defense system. And now they, I think the, the very latest test was about solid fuel rockets, um, which is, it's really technical, but apparently um, compared to liquid fuel, solid fuel is less corrosive, so it can be um, stored in the rockets longer, and so that it enables them to actually shoot the missile um, quickly. And so all of this is really about evading U.S. missile defense system. So, you know, when we see news in the Western media about the so-called North Korean missile threat, you know, it's very confusing because the U.S. media only likes to focus on that aspect, but they don't actually talk about the fact that this is in response to U.S. nuclear threat against North Korea. Um, the third point is that that will actually not defend South Korea. If you look at the map of Korea, North and South Korea are very close. Um, so if North Korea were to um, shoot missiles towards South Korea, experts have pointed out that they would actually use um, short-range missiles. And short-range missiles, the way that they fly, their trajectory, they don't go up and down, but they actually fly at very low altitude. But that stands for Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, which means it's designed to block missiles that are coming at high altitudes, and then at the terminal stage, as it's coming down from the sky, that's when the missiles are, the interceptors are supposed to block the missile. So that is not actually designed to even block against um, in, in this scenario. So another scenario where it might be used is if North Korea were to fire intermediate range missiles at U.S. bases in Japan or in Guam. 
And uh, experts say it could be useful in that scenario, however, it would be difficult. And that is because if you look at this map, Sangju is the southern part of South Korea, and Japan is obviously south to that, and then Guam is all the way south here. So intermediate range missile from North Korea would go up here and then down like this. But the missile's defense system is all the way up there. That means for it to be effective, what you would have to do is shoot the interceptor missile at the ascent phase of the missile, not the terminal phase, right? Now, um, that is technically very difficult because you only have seconds to determine uh, where it's headed, uh, if it's a, a test or if it's the real thing, and then it's also very politically controversial to shoot down the missile at the ascent phase. And so, yes, uh, it could be uh, possible to use in that scenario, but probably not likely, uh, at least not yet. So then the third scenario is if North Korea or China were to launch an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile, uh, aimed at the U.S. continent, most likely this is the scenario where the THAAD system would be used, that that radar can actually detect and send early warning information to the missile defense headquartered in Alaska, and then an interceptor that's based in Alaska could shoot down a fat, an, inter, an ICBM at the terminal phase. So, but all of this means that ultimately that that system has no benefit for the people of South Korea. However, they will pay the highest price. Number one, $22 million to every year to operate the system. So that will probably come out of their tax dollars. Number two, the health and environmental impact. The radar that's attached to the, that system, it emits electromagnetic waves. And as Reverend Kim mentioned earlier, most of the farmers in that area, they are melon farmers. Um, the Korean yellow melon is like a special product of that region. And so they're worried about the long-term impact, impact of the radar on their agricultural product. Um, and then lastly, this is a point that um, Ted Postol, who's a missile defense expert at MIT, and he's been very vocal um, about this uh, that deployment, he's been very critical, um, and he says that in the event there is a conflict between China and the United States, that that system in South Korea could be the first target of a Chinese strike. And so in that scenario, the South Korean people and the Sangju people in particular are caught in the crosshair of a potential larger conflict in the region. Next slide. Number four, that adds to the global arms race. Next slide. Obviously the Chinese concern is that the THAAD radar, if it's based in Korea, it will extend the U.S. ability to do surveillance on Chinese missile activity. And the U.S. already has two radars in Kyoto, Japan, one in Guam. So this is uh, exacerbating conflict, tension between China and, and the U.S. And also, obviously, Russia is concerned because the U.S. and NATO has missile defense systems um, deployed all over Eastern Europe and also the Mediterranean. And they talk about the Iranian threat as the justification, but really, when you look at where these systems are based, it's clear that they're aimed at surrounding Russia. So again, missile defense is really about neutralizing Chinese, North Korean, and Russian deterrence capability, and enable the U.S. to have first strike capability. And what that means is that that could 
also provoke the countries that now have a no-for-a-strike policy to actually reconsider that policy because this is so provocative. Number five, that last point is that that is costly, but it's not proven to work. For the THAAD system alone, in the 1990s, they kept testing it and they kept failing. And then they've since improved the system, so apparently they have intercepted its targets in the tests that they've conducted since 2006. However, missile defense experts point out that these tests are uh, in very highly scripted, optimal conditions to maximize the chance of success, and they've not independently been tested in uh, many different scenarios, like if there are two, more than two ballistic missiles that are coming all at once, could it actually be successful? We don't know. Um, it's not designed to defend against cruise missiles. And also that that radar has limited range. It can only cover 120 degrees at a time. So North Korea, which has a sub submarine-based ballistic missile, they can actually just easily go circumvent where the THAAD radars go outside of the range and then launch from there. So there are many holes to the system. However, it's very expensive. Uh, it costs $1.3 billion to produce one unit. Again, $22 million every year to operate. Um, neither the U.S. government or the South Korean government has said who's going to actually pay for this. So it'll either come out of our pockets or it'll come out of the South Korean people's pockets. So in summary, missile defense is not for defense. It's part of a long history of U.S. nuclear threat and arms race in Korea. That will not defend South Korea. It will only add to the global arms race. It's also very costly, but not actually proven to work. So, what is the path forward? So, one thing that is useful for us to know is that last year in July, North Korea issued a statement. It was not picked up at all by the Western media, but basically they said, here are our five conditions for denuclearization. And, you know, as you will see, all, not, they, don't, they do not mention anywhere economic assistance or anything like that. All of it, all five conditions, all have to do with the US, removing the U.S. nuclear threat against North Korea. And so this gives, I mean, you know, the U.S. hasn't responded to this. We don't know if North Korea is still committed to these five conditions. But the point is that this gives us an indication of what they're really concerned about is the existential threat that is posed by U.S. nuclear weapons. So what can we do? This is what you know, we are proposing is one, we need to demand that the Trump administration and the Pentagon immediately stop the deployment of the THAAD system in Korea. Um, and there is actually a possibility, a real possibility that this fight can win. And that is because there's gonna be a new election on May 9th, um, less than a, a month from now. The front runner in uh, the election um, has said that this issue should be uh, put to the National Assembly for democratic decision. That actually gives us an opportunity for the people who oppose that. It opens an opportunity for them to continue fighting. That's exactly why the Pentagon and the South Korean Defense Ministry is in a hurry to quickly deploy, finish the deployment before the election. And that's why they, you know, the helicopters are going and, and blocking the, the residents and all of that. That's also why the Sangju people are so adamant that 
this cannot happen before the next election, and that's why they're 24-7 sitting outside the deployment site, you know, waiting to block anything from going inside. So that is, this, the situation right now is pretty critical. If they can withstand um, the police, you know, harassment and really block the deployment from happening until May 9th, and then after the election, the political situation could change um, and they will still need to keep fighting, but it's a more favorable condition for them to continue the fight. And so in that case, they're going to need all of our support from the U.S. Because ultimately, this is a they're fighting so hard, but this is a Pentagon decision. We here need to also raise our voices to say this should not happen. Um, and so they're going to need our support and solidarity. The, the, the second thing is, obviously, we need to demand that the U.S. resolve the current crisis with North Korea through diplomacy and dialogue, and that would mean that the U.S. abandons its nuclear first strike uh, prerogative to stopping the very provocative military exercises, and then finally replacing the armistice with a permanent peace treaty to end the Korean War. Um, in exchange, then uh, North Korea should freeze its nuclear development program, so no more tests, no more nuclear tests, no more missile tests, and then a commitment to non-proliferation. And then the last thing is we also need to be opposing the Trump proposed budget, which apparently uh, has huge increases for military spending at the expense of everything else, like housing, social services, healthcare, etc. Um, and we need to be raising the question, is that the kind of useless weapon system that is included in this humongous military budget that Trump is proposing? You've been listening to Hyan Lee, a New York-based writer and activist who also spoke at a program in Northwest D.C. in April 2017 about the history of the nuclear threat on the Korean Peninsula. This is On the Ground, on thegroundshow.org. When we come back, we're going to leave you with one more voice from Mother's Day a year ago in front of the White House. I want to bring up Kate Young-Jo Shim. She's a peace and justice activist and community organizer. Currently, she's the International Solidarity Coordinator for the Coalition of Korean Americans, promoting a peaceful settlement in the Korean Peninsula and advocating for justice to victim survivors of World War II, as well as advocating for racial justice and LBGTQ rights in the United States. Thank you, Kate. Come up, please. Good afternoon. I'm so glad to be here. My family immigrated to the U.S. in the middle of 1970s from South Korea. My country and homeland was divided as a product of Cold War after Japan lost in World War II. Korea was a single country until that time for over a thousand years. But we were divided into two against our will by foreign countries that was initiated by U.S. policymakers that eventually created a volatile situation that led to the Korean War and continuing division and hostilities. 
And today, we still do not have a peace treaty that will that will officially end Korean War and move toward the last peace in Korean Peninsula. My mother grew up in the northern side of Korea. She came to Seoul in 1948 to advance her studies since her parents passed away. She, she left her sibling and the cousins and thinking that she will come back to her after her studies. But the war and division did not allow her to return home for, for decades. And she, she still didn't can go back home. And I also have an uncle and other relatives from my father's side who were separated by war and ended up living in North Korea. My grandmother got to see her older son again, first time after 37 years. And actually, because of the Korean War, she didn't know where he was for 30, 37 years until she came to this country. And she actually came to the United States when she was 70 years old, hoping maybe she might have a better chance of finding her son. And she did find her son after 37 years. Can you imagine not knowing where her son was for 37 years? And she was a lucky one. There was in the million of mom who cannot see their own children, a husband, a wife, and they cannot celebrate Mother's Day with their children, or mothers cannot see their children grow. And I just cannot imagine. I have two sons. I just cannot imagine not being able to see my own son for 50 years, 37 years, and now 70 years. And the time is running up. Separate family members, family members get old, and a lot of them have already passed away. This is what war does to people. Separating families and destroying their lives as we saw in Iraq, Syria, Palestine, and numerous other places around the world. This is why we desperately need a peace settlement in Korea that, so that separate families can be united and then people throughout the region can live with, without fears of another horrible war. Now, I want to talk about uh, another tragic instance of women of victims of war. As we know, the Japanese military set up sexual slavery system during World War II throughout Asia, forcing girls and women of all colonial and conquered terrorists as young as 12 or 13 years old into sexual slavery, beaten and raped constantly by soldiers, and also massacred toward the end of war by Japanese soldiers trying to hide what they have done. Even for those who survived, many of them couldn't have their own family or children as they live in isolation and secrecy, immersed and ashamed about themselves to what happened to them. And nothing was their fault. And Korean survivors tried to come out in early 1990s and trying to organizing to tell their stories and the historical truths. This is what war does to human beings. Destroying and killing a lot of innocent people, especially women and children. These comfort women survivors only want their dignity to restore and demand apologies from Japanese government. They don't want what happened to them. They don't want people to go through 
what they went through, but they still stole a lot of women and children being victimized uh, again in other modern world in Vietnam, in Congo, in other conflicted zones around the world. So what they decided was to raise funds, starting with their own money and savings called Butterfly Fund for the victims and survivors of the conflict and war in Africa and Asia. And they beautiful? Even after all the horrors and trauma they went through, they want to help other victims of war and help prevent wars. They even sent a donation to victims of a tsunami and earthquakes in Japan. These kind of people make me try to be humble, give us inspiration and hope and courage to fight for justice and peace. Thank you for this opportunity for today. And I want to end with three of my favorite slogans. Dignity and justice to comfort women survivors. Sign the peace treaty now and march unite for peace and justice. Thank you. That was the voice of activist Kate Youngju Shim telling her story in front of the White House last year. And that will do it for today's show, raising up the voices of people telling a different story and telling the other side of the Korean conflict. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org, where you can listen to all of our shows. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show. Our condolences to Michael Byfield on the passing of his father, Clarence Byfield. I'm Esther Averam. Keep raising your voice. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.